Hello and welcome to another episode of Bridging the Gap. I'm so appreciative of you taking some time to tune in to this episode. I know you have a busy day and I hope that you're able to take something out of today's episode. Bridging the Gap is all about bridging the gap between where the wealth management industry is today and where it's going to be in the future. And we want to bring in minds both inside this industry and outside this industry to give actionable ideas to move our firms forward. We come together as a community. So be sure, if you like this episode, share it, talk about it, send some comments. Let's get a conversation going and share it with your friends as well. But this episode is really amazing. It is eye-opening, it's entertaining, it's insightful. And this week we have Todd Miller, the best-selling author of Enrich on the podcast to talk about how to create time, money, and meaning. Todd joined us from Thailand because he is now retired at a young age. And he talks about how he found the way to finding meaning in his life, financial security, accelerating financial security, and also finding meaning. And I think it's going to open many of your eyes. Enjoy this episode with Todd Miller. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Hello and welcome Todd Miller, thanks so much for taking some time from across the world to join us here on Bridging the Gap. How are you doing? Hello, Matt. Greetings Thailand. from Thailand. So uh, we're going to get into why you're in Thailand and, and kind of your whole journey. But tell us, you know, for, for us here on, in the stateside, what's the world like today over in Thailand? So Thailand has been, it's had a different trajectory with the pandemic, certainly from the American experience. And I was last in the States in March 2020, recognized things weren't exactly going well stateside, and I didn't know how Thailand would navigate the pandemic, but I felt that living where I do, right on the beach, is not a bad place to ride out a pandemic. And so I've continuously been in Thailand since March of 2020, and during 2020, when the rest of the world was struggling, Thailand actually did a masterful job in controlling the pandemic. And so life was quasi-normal in Thailand last year. This year, however, there have been several waves, and we're dealing with one now. And so whereas the United States is really going into near-normal mode, we're back in lockdown Mm -hmm. mode in Thailand. But it is interesting, right? Because it's impacted everybody. Why is that the case? Why is it now? Because it, is it the new strand that's coming in and, and, and the, the monitoring of that? Or was it something that you, you saw from the Thai uh, government that did something differently? I'm just curious now that we're kind of looking back. So the Thai government last year treated this as a health crisis. And they effectively shut their borders which was remarkable for a country for which tourism accounts for about a quarter of the GDP. But they were willing to sacrifice the economy to protect public health. And so with the borders closed, then the pandemic was, you know, truly under control domestically. This year, they can no longer afford to sacrifice the economy. And so it seems to me that the government has made the decision as they try to reopen the economy that they will sacrifice Mm. public health. You know, it's going to be an interesting case study. There's going to be many books written about the past 15 months and 
and we won't really know the outcomes of decisions for probably, you know, five, 10, 15 years or even more. So it's something that's so interesting. And, and maybe that will be your next book, but we're here to talk about your current book. And, and I'm really excited about it. But before we dive into that book, why don't you just give the audience a little bit about your background? Mm -hmm. I was inspired when I read about it and learned about it. And I, I know our audience will be as well. Sure. So I am an American by passport and taxes, but I have lived in Asia for the majority of my life. Actually, my entire professional career has been in Asia, in the entertainment in industry. And early in my career, I became obsessed with the work-life equation. And for the past quarter century, I've been extensively researching and aggressively experimenting with that equation, which led to writing the book Enrich, which I published in the fall of 2020. But I had a, you know, by all measures, a thriving career in the entertainment business. I was chief executive of Asia's largest independent pan-regional broadcaster for eight years. Prior to that, I have a 17-year track record with a major Hollywood studio, and I really helped cultivate and develop many of the Asian markets you know, for Hollywood and for a particular studio back in the day. And so I've had a colorful, I've been blessed by having a colorful career in an industry that, that I love and am fascinated by. But I also realized, Matt, that having a big career just wasn't enough. I want a fantastic life and not just a big career. And so, you know, that, that takes us back to that work-life equation thing. But as, as a result of all that, I retired early-ish, and I now live at the beach in tropical Thailand, which is home, and I'm loving life. And so I devote my days now really to interacting with audiences, engaging with people all over the world, to talk about how to enrich life. And I should also say for the benefit of your audience that I am also a consumer of wealth advisor services. You know, the idea of enrich is something, you know, it hits home to me because like that's something that I'm striving for every day, right? I love learning about how to make, get more out of my day, but also be able to, because I want to have so many things that I want to balance, right? And I think it's great for, especially for our industry, as there's this trend in the next generation of wealth. There's also a lot of there's a lot of value on right. experiential and you know coming out of the pandemic, especially people are, are finding that as a as a desire. So I think that there's a lot there. And so I, I, I always ask this question to guests I have on the podcast because it's something that I'm passionate about. And Simon Sinek really started the kind of the, the, the fat, the trend of this of understanding your why. You know, for me, it's to create a legacy that lasts beyond my lifetime. And I think that I can create businesses and help do it that way, but also with my mm -hmm. family. And I'm a huge fan of this question. And so for you, you know, as you now are kind of retired and outside of the corporate life, you know, what is your why? So first of all, let me preface, and I very much believe in asking the why. In the book, I encourage people to ask the why three times. And that's when you can really, by asking why and then why and then why to the why, that's when you can really hack at the branches, and get to the roots. And so to answer your why question, what gets me excited is to live passionately, 
compassionately and curiously. And that is really how I, I, I guide my time. And like yourself, I want to make an impact along the way. But the operative word in all this is curiosity, because I believe that curiosity is a superpower if you are willing to indulge it and if you are willing to let curiosity take you into your discomfort zone. And so if you look at my story, I'm a kid from Kentucky who, out of college, indulged curiosity, ended up in a pioneering role in Asia for Hollywood, retired early, and now I'm writing and speaking with audiences all around the world. I never would have imagined that kind of career and life trajectory 30, 40 years ago, and it's all because of this superpower of curiosity. The curiosity aspect is something that I talk with my teams about all the time is that you always have to be curious about, you know, it's a thirst for knowledge, right? It's a know your craft idea. Always be curious of what is out there, what you could do. But you're talking about being curious in life. And I think that that is amazing, right? I think that you can take any of that and apply it in any aspect of of your world or your ecosphere. And, and, and you know, so we let's get into enrich, right? And, and I'm just going to ask, you know, I'm not even going to beat around the bush. We're going to cut right to the chase because what you talk about, okay. the work-life balance, everybody is searching for it, right? And so, you know, yes. there's no reason for people to have to, I mean, I could drag this on and wait to add, ask it at the end so everybody listens, but let's just get to the question that everyone wants the answer to. How do you actually create time, money, and meaning? I am so happy, Matt, that you've asked this question because I've been on probably 25 podcasts in the past five months, and no one has asked me this directly. And so to enrich life, it really requires three mindset shifts. And so, you know, sit back, get a cup of coffee, and let's, let's dig into this. So the first mindset shift is that we're all operating off of this invisible default setting. And by the default setting, what I mean is this. We embark upon our careers in our 20s. We work feverishly and intensively to get ahead. And we basically approach career like an ultramarathon to be endured. And we hope, if we're lucky, to be able to exit 40 years later, sometime in our 60s, if we're lucky. And then we'll be free to do what we wish we could have done all along. How crazy is that? But that is the default setting for which most professionals operate. And so the first way to enrich your life is to recognize that the juice is not worth the squeeze and to reject that default setting. And so the second mindset shift is to also then recognize that creating financial security, and I should say accelerating financial security, that that is foundational. We often think of financial security 
as the end goal. No, it is the starting point. And every professional and every financial advisor should be driving your clients to accelerate financial security as quickly as possible. Because with financial security, you then create optionality, which is the ability to live and work on your own terms. And you know, when work becomes a choice and not an obligation, well, that is a really mighty powerful work and life hack. And so, you know, it's much easier with a foundation of financial security to then scaffold a life of meaning and relevance and all that matters. And the third mindset shift that is involved to enrich your life is to flip the money time equation. So there are two currencies in life, money and time. Money grabs all the oxygen out of the room and it gets all the attention. But time is the currency that has the biggest impact on life satisfaction. How we think about time, how we approach time, it correlates with happiness. And so if you're able to reject the default setting, if you're able to to accelerate financial security, and if you are able to appropriately value time, and by valuing time, I mean to spend it deliberately and purposefully, then you're well on your way. I always write to our team every Friday morning with kind of a thought that gets them, you know, to end the week. And, you know, a recent one that I talked about was this idea of failure, right? We all, we are, our default setting in life, just as you're saying, our default setting in life of our career is that failure is bad. You fail a test, you have to retake it, or you may not pass the class. You fail the bar, you're not able to practice law. You fail, you don't get things. And we don't like that. So we run away from failure. But in order to actually do something great and to go try something new, you have to embrace and accept failure. And I learned that from Jerry Colonna, who's, you know, wrote, wrote a book called Reboot. And, and it's, you got to reject that default because our default is failure is bad, whereas failure actually creates progress. And so that's a difficult thing to do. Well, failure is learning. It's all a learning process. And this yep. is actually all part of curiosity. And so if you're, if you're cultivating curiosity, and if you're really indulging curiosity, then failure is going to be all part of the process. And that's okay. That's okay if you learn something from it. Actually, you know, the, the, the worst thing in failure is for something, for some outcome to not happen and then to learn nothing from it. The curiosity and, and the aspect of a thirst for learning, failure is the only way that you get there, right? Because if you don't try to fail, then you're only going to know what you know now and you're never going to be able to learn what you don't know today. And, and I think that you know, the challenge that I've seen when I instill this into our teams is that it's hard to change the default. And I would assume that it's hard in your, in your mind, in the original, the first step to change the default of, hey, this is the way that it goes because it's so. So how do people overcome that barrier? How do you encourage people to actually change the default and turn that off? So you can't change anything until you recognize 
that you are on mm. a default setting. And so the, the analogy that I like to give is we're often so busy and so feverishly climbing the career ladder that we never stop to survey what the alternatives are because there are people above us and people below us and we got to keep going. And we certainly don't stop to, to ask, is this ladder leaning against the right wall? So the first step, absolutely the first step is to ask the fundamental questions and to see what mm -hmm. the alternatives are. And I think this is so relevant at this particular time because, you know, one of the outcomes of the pandemic, and we certainly see this in the United States, but this is also the case in Europe and in most developed societies around the world. The pandemic has been a monumental catalyst to get people to fundamentally rethink and reassess their lives in terms of how they, how they work, where they live, and what they want out of life. And so I would encourage everyone to, to try to think about, you know, post-pandemic life, whatever that looks like and whenever that actually happens, as a way to not go back to normal. Because if we go back to normal, we really haven't learned anything but to strive for something much better than normal. And certainly this pandemic then will have been an enriching learning experience for everyone. The pandemic has taught me, and I tell everybody this, right? It's slow down and simplify. It, it took a pandemic for us all to realize that because like you said, we are running so fast that we don't have a chance to step down and, or step away. And we were forced to, and when you're forced to, you realize it. But what I'm also seeing is that there is this desire to get back to normal and it's just continuing to go. And so you're right. You can, you have to, you have to uh, recognize it, but once you recognize it, you have to start taking action on it and not letting that go away. And I start to see that there's a lot of people that realized that early in the pandemic and started to make some changes, but those changes are starting to kind of get, you know, chipped away at. And so I think it's also the matter of going forward and, and that, you know, I mean, the pandemic forced us to do that. Some people aren't going to have that opportunity because, you know, going forward, they may not remember the pandemic. And you're going to have to continue to force yourself. The second step, though, that you talk about with financial security, which hits home to, to us in this industry of wealth management, right? That's what we're ultimately trying to, to help people get. What, what, we've, what I've realized is that everybody has this kind of preconceived no notion of what financial security is, and they put a number on it. And that's what they work for. But they're also never satisfied. Once they get there, we are as humans, we exactly. innately want more. We want more, everything. That's why entertainment has been so successful. Give me more. And, and money is the same thing. So how do you overcome that so, in this second so, step? So I guess we can talk about what, what financial security is. At a minimum, it is the ability to walk away from your job today. It is having sufficient cash resources and absence of worry or anxiety about money, 
as well as the absence of consumer debt. I mean, those are some of the features, the characteristics of financial security. But I, you know, the problem, the problem with thinking about financial security numerically is that, you know, it's quote unquote, the number. And I will give you, I guess, my first exposure to the number was in my final semester at Columbia Business School, where, you know, everyone's about to, to go off into the world. And so what did we talk about at happy hour? What's your number? You know, and back then, the numbers were much more mo- modest. And once you, you know, once you hit that number, you say, oh, well, that number was, it was too low. You know, this is the new number. And it's like, whenever you're trying to, to hit a numerical target, it is a constantly shifting target. It's just like when you climb a mountain. You think you've 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 hit the peak, and you, you know you get up on a crest, and there's a higher peak that follows. You know it is a endless cycle if you're always chasing a number, which is why I believe that thinking in terms of cash flow, thinking in terms of income, and reassess and reassessing, you know what people really need which is a lot less than what we think. It's so interesting that you say that because right as you said that, I, I went back to, I, I put myself back into the chair when I, when, I, when I meet with families and they come in for the first time and they are three years from retirement and they say, you know, this is how much I have and I want to retire, but I, I, need, I need to work until I'm 85 be able to get to my number. And I ask them what their number is and they say their number. And, and then what we are able to show is that we're like, well, actually... You know, because you have some income coming in, because you have this portfolio, this is actually what you'd be able to generate and it's more than what you need. And so your number isn't necessarily what you thought it was because we always try to stack ourselves up to what society tells us as opposed to what relates to us. And that is, it's such an interesting aspect of saying, what do I need to live the life that I want? And in reality, how can I, and it's, and I think that the point that I also take away from you as well is that it's not. Financial security is not just about not working. It's doing a job that you want that may not be making gobs amount of money, but is enjoyable and allows you to live the life you want. So it doesn't mean that you stop working forever. It just means that you're working in something that you want and you have the financial ability to stop if you want, but that's also maybe helping you continue to live the life that you want. Exactly. It's all about optionality. And whether you work or don't work or work a little bit is, you know, it's up to you. And what, and what feels right. But the worst situation for anyone to be in is to feel like mm-hmm. they have no options. You know, and that's when, that's when Matt, I, I recognize that financial security is so found, foundational. So I will tell you a story. And I thought, because as I explained, I've been obsessed by the work-life equation. And so I got the work-life balance thing down pat, and I was a pro, and my career was rocking, my life was rocking. Financial security never even crossed my mind until I was handicapped by financial insecurity, and I was trapped into a job for which I was miserable, 
and for which I felt that I was giving up a small piece of my soul every time I went into my very nice office, you know, with the beautiful views and, you know, the expensive furniture. And I just, I, you know, I, I hated life. I hated work mm-hmm. and I hated myself for not having the courage to walk away from that paycheck. And that is when I realized that found that financial security is foundational. And once, once I came to that realization, then I fast-tracked fi- financial security very quickly. And I was able to make those career choices then that allowed me to choose how and with whom and why and where that I work. And I was still in the entertainment business, but I was working on my own terms. That's a powerful story. And, and I think that you know, we all have to have those moments. And we were just talking about the pandemic, right? The pandemic gave us that moment that we needed to slow down and simplify our lives. But was, was that moment when you were in that job, you know, as you're saying, you're just miserable and, and not wanting to go to work, that you identified that you needed to accelerate financial security, was that also the moment when you realized that you're doing this whole work-life thing wrong? Or was there another moment in time where you realized that? Well, I wasn't doing the work-life thing wrong because my life actually rocked, but I just, I work no longer satisfied and I couldn't take corrective action because I was addicted to a high paycheck, you know, but, but everything outside of work was actually, mm-hmm. actually it was pretty yeah. solid, you know, and, and around the same time, I also had another experience about the importance of taking ownership for one's financial security. And so, you know, as part of my whole, I guess, as part of my whole mindset about not understanding the importance of financial security, I always took a fairly hands-off approach to Mm. managing my money. And I outsourced 100% the management to expensive private bankers. And, you know, I, I was always managing to save more than I spend. And so every year, you know, I saw the upward curve of the, of the graph, but actually, you know, my money wasn't working for me. And I had, I guess, a rather testy experience with my then financial advisor. And this was around the same time that I knew that I needed to fast track financial security. You know, I was buying a lot of stupid investment products, you know, and certainly back in the day, many, many of the, the, the private banks, they like to sell structured derivatives, structured notes. And it's the equivalent of going to Vegas and betting on, you know, black or red. You know, and basically it's the same thing. And I, I made a number of those bets. Those are expensive bets. And one bet in particular blew up. And so, you know, I, in what could have been a Hollywood script moment, you know, I really had a, a very direct discussion with my private banker. And I said, I'm tired of expensive private banker advice. And in a moment of rare honesty, he said, look, Todd, if you want to create wealth, 
there are three ways that you can do it. Through real estate, through private equity, or through your career. And he said, my job as a you know, as a relationship manager, my job as a banker is, well, to try to keep you from not losing too much money and hope that you gain a little. And I fired him instantly, not for his honesty, which I, which I greatly appreciated, but because I realized that he is irrelevant and perhaps even detrimental to my financial security. And so that's when I got into the driver's seat. I took control and I set upon an ambitious plan to fast track my financial independence and you know the rest. You happened. know that you know that's that's a really interesting story about how you know an advisor kind of just came out and told you, right? And 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 you took it into your own hands. And I think that some people especially now, right, are chasing, they, and I've talked about it in many of my blog posts and, and videos, is they're chasing, I'd, I'd say they're not trying to keep up with the Joneses, they're just chasing the Joneses, right? They're chasing every headline. They're chasing everybody that says, I made this much in Bitcoin, I made this much in Crypto X or Crypto Y or Tesla. And it's a matter of, you know, you have a plan, you take a hold of it, but it's not like you're going to try to chase to make these big bets. I, I believe, and I'd be interested to know, it's consistency of that plan. It's staying true to that plan and pushing forward on that. Yes, and and certainly it's not the fat of the, the moment. And but more importantly, I when I do talks, I very much encourage the audience to prioritize cash flow over capital gains. And particularly when so many asset classes are receiving so much enthusiasm right now from equities to real estate to crypto you know everyone wants their piece of capital gains but i believe that you know the, the problem with capital gains is it it can make a trade can make some people wealthy but whether you have a capital gain or capital loss, that is situational, and it is time dependent, and you really have no control over a successful outcome. And that if you want true financial security, you want income streams that are reliable and predictable, that are passive, so that, so that you don't have to dedicate your time that are recurring, that are tax efficient, because it doesn't really matter what you make, but what you keep. And finally, that are diversified. And, you know, if one thinks in terms of cash flow rather than capital gains, then all the fads of the moment, whether that's crypto or NFTs, just realize that, you know, that doesn't fit into my financial strategy. You know, I, I forget who said it. I believe it was Warren Buffett, and, and it's a quote that resonated with me that I use with a lot of my clients. He says, "I'd rather own uh, a piece of land than I would a bar of gold." And the reason is, is because land I can make cash flow off of. I can plant a farm that grows every year that I can sell and create cash flow. Gold I can't use for anything, 
And, and that's the mentality, right? Cash flow is king. And that's what is in retirement, especially cash flow is king. And you need to have dependable and reliant and diversified cash flow to be able to sustain and continue to build your life. I think that that is very, I mean, just such an important point for, for individuals and for wealth advisors to help get across to their clients as well and make those decisions. Now, I want to be respectful of time because I know that it's, it's nighttime over on your side, but I, I want to touch on one thing before I get to my final question that I always use on this podcast. And in, in, in your book, you talk about this concept of harnessing time. And I've, I've, I'm really intrigued by this idea because I think that I've been working you know, diligently to try to figure out how I can squeeze as much into the day and still give me that time to be with family and friends and have a life. And harnessing time is there. Wealth managers have trouble with harnessing time. I think all humans do. But in this industry specifically, because, you know, if things could be really good, you know, the markets are good, nobody's calling, nobody's emailing, then we have a bad day and people are just, you're dependent on an outside influence, right? So what steps, yes. you know, did you take to begin harnessing time that, that we in this industry can learn from or just individuals can learn from just in their day-to-day -day life? So let me go back to my previous point about flipping the money time equation. So suppose I gifted you right now a million dollars. And I said, here it is. One requirement, though. You have to spend it in the next 24 hours. What kind of behavior do you think that you would have to maximize spending of that million dollars? I'd be on a tear to spend as much of it as possible. <laughs> <laughs> As quickly as possible. Right. So here's a real world scenario. Instead of the gift of money, every day that you wake up, you have the gift of time. 24 fresh hours. And my question to you and my question to the audience is, do you spend that gift of time with the focus, the deliberateness, perhaps even the recklessness that you would spend that cash. And that is, that is really the essence of harnessing time. Now, your specific question is how to do it. And it starts with intentionality. I mean, intentionality is being deliberate and purposeful with your time. It's very powerful because the more in control that we feel, the more satisfied we are with our lives. And research also shows that people who are actively pursuing goals are happier, 20% happier, in fact, if you want to put a number on it, than people without goals. And so the practice of intentionality is a powerful habit. And what I encourage everyone to do, anyone can do it anywhere at any time, and you can start right now, is to set a daily intention. When you get up in the morning, ask yourself, what will make this day a great day? Not an average day, not another Tuesday day, but what can I do today? Consider that question professionally, personally, 
and financially. Just in the next however many waking hours that I have, how can I maximize this day? And if you practice intentionality through these these daily intentions, you stand the potential to transform your and life. I think I've said this probably, if I go back in, in editing, I'll count it, but I think I've said that as a powerful comment or a powerful question multiple times, which hopefully, I mean, I've felt really. And you know, the thing that I, I, I get now that I understand the question a little bit better is I, I put myself in that situation, right? When you say a million dollars in 24 hours, and yes, it'd be reckless because I'd be spending it on things that I don't need, materialistic, right? But the only thing I'd be focusing on for all that 24 hours would be spending that million dollars. Nothing else. And that's the point that exactly. you're trying to make is the intentionality. That's the point, right? Right. If it were cash, there would be frenetic behavior to use it yep. before you lose and it. And as you were talking, I was listening, but then I was also thinking – because I was saying to myself, well, you know, I, I put myself in that situation of a million dollars and spend it in 24 hours and how focused I would be. And then I, I took myself back into today and I woke up this morning and I had a schedule, but I didn't have the same intentionality that I would if I was in that million dollar situation, right? I didn't come into the day saying, I only have 24 hours. What am I going to do to make the most of it? Which is a complete change of mindset. And too often, just as the world goes, it pushes us and gets us trapped in this kind of this ball that we continue just to go that you have to wake up the default, default setting, setting that you have to take yourself out. Yes. <laughs> and when you wake up, you know, every morning I, 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 there's this, you know, acronym that I, I learned in a, in a book, it's called coat C O T E confidence, optimism, tenacity, enthusiasm, right? You just continue to tell yourself that every time. And now you at, oh, wake up and you say 24 hours, I got 24 hours. What do I want to do with it? And make that really intentional, which is powerful, right? That allows you to, to harness time. That's not going to tell you how to better, Necessary. It doesn't tell you, there's no how to of how to schedule your day better, right? That's, I think, the cool thing about this book. It's not saying, hey, this is what you need to do. This is how you use a Kanban board or block off your day. No, you figure that out with the, you have the hours in the day and you're, you, you can figure out what is most important to you. And that's going to inevitably fall into place to harness your time. And that's an, Absolutely. That's an amazing and powerful yes. statement and thought. And, you know, before we end, I want to make sure everybody understands where to go and get enriched. And I'm, I'm sure there's something called, there's something on this web, the website that's probably pretty popular that people can get it. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I want to end this, this, this conversation, which I don't want it to end, but we've got to get back to some, everybody's got to get back to some of their day to day lives. I've always asked this question in financial services about why are financial advisors going to be forced to change? In this business, we have continued to be told by outsiders that you as an industry are going to have to change or you're going to be extinct or you're going to lose out on this or the next gen or this. But we have yet to really have it, you know, in material major changes. And we've grown. Everybody has grown. The industry has grown. People become wealthier in the industry, et cetera. And so everybody continues to ask, well, why do I need to change? And that's what I always ask people that are within the industry. But this question to you from an outsider is from your seat looking in, why would an industry have to change? What is that impetus that's going to cause an industry and individual change? If you don't change, then you become irrelevant because this planet's a dynamic place. And certainly when it comes to managing personal finances, you know, markets are di dynamic. The 
economic situation is unprecedented. And therefore, if the industry does not adapt and does not meet clients where they are and does not deliver real value to clients, then the industry will be irrelevant. And so, you know, 15 years ago, I gave up on private banks. And that was a personal decision. But if, if the industry does not figure out a way to really help people achieve their goals, then what value do, do you play? And I believe the rallying call for every wealth advisor is to encourage your clients to commit to accelerating financial security. And it's quite simple, you know, to accelerate financial security, work with your clients to lower the hurdle rate, because as we discussed, it's often much lower than what we think, but you never know until you do the math. Compress the timeline, and rather than normally taking 40 years, which is, you know, we start work in our 20s and we hope to exit our 60s, encourage your clients to do it in 20 or 30, and then just make a plan to get there. And if, if you individually and you as an industry can do that, then you will deliver tremendous value to your clientele. Hmm. Yeah, that is, that's it, right? We are an industry that is going to need to deliver and find new ways of delivering value beyond just investment management to stay relevant. And I think that that's going to cause all of us to, to innovate and think differently and always keep the client in mind. But the idea of just doing investment management and allocations and trading, et cetera, I think those days are behind us and we're going to have to be delivering unique value. Like you said, private equity, real estate, other aspects, you know, lifestyle management, right? And helping them get that financial security to get to that quickly and accelerate that. But I think, look, I actually think having worked with a number of wealth advisors, the best are people who could be life coaches and really can, if you can help your clients think differently about all these topics. And like I've said, these mindset shifts, because that's what it is. If you can really help your clients with these mindset shifts, then you will tr- deliver yeah. tremendous value. That's a, The behavioral coaching, the lifestyle, and being a life coach is, uh, is where I think this industry is going. There's been a lot of talk about that within the industry. And I think that you're starting to see that evolution happen uh, today. This was a, a really inspiring conversation and it's as inspiring as I was hoping it would be after kind of reading and learning more about you. And so tell the audience if they want to continue to follow you, they want to buy the book Enrich, if they want to continue to learn more and talk with you or interact with you, how do they find you uh, and where do they find the book? So the best place to go is enrich101.com and I have a lot more information about the Enrich method. I regularly write for leading media around the world, and so I'm constantly updating that website with new material. And in terms of where to find the book, the book is available in any format that that you could think of. Todd Miller, this was an amazing conversation. I really appreciate you taking some time out of your evening to, to be with us on, on the podcast. And uh, 
I look forward to having another conversation and continue to read all of your writings and uh, hopefully another book maybe in the future. Thank you, Matt. It was really a great pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 